Imagine a world where men stepped up and answered God's call to reach their full potential. Imagine a world where men put their faith and trust in God unwaveringly and without qualification. Imagine a world where men lived out God's purpose for them in everything they do. It's not my credit to take explores the awe and wonder of how God shows up in the lives of strong, principled Christian men from all walks of life. Get ready to laugh, to cry, and to be transformed. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Slover, faithful husband, loving father, loyal friend, and unapologetically Christian. Welcome to the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Clem, how are you today, sir? Hey, Ed, I am doing very well. And yourself, Ed? Uh, I, I'm very well as well. Really excited to have this conversation. My guest today is Dr. Cleman Moore. I recently connected with Clem via LinkedIn when I learned through his support of several Christian-based posts that he was a believer too, and I knew I wanted to have him a as a guest on the podcast. He's a transformative, energetic, visionary leader with 25-plus years of experience in multiple industries and sectors. Today, Clem is the president and CEO of American Advantage Home Care, the founding executive director of I Care for, for Detroit, and the host of the Home Health Care Today Show, an award-winning podcast designed to influence and inspire viewers and listeners about a variety of health and wellness topics. He's also the award-winning author of From Failure to Promise, 360 Degrees, where he takes readers on a journey from his adolescence uh, in the Detroit public school system to academic failure on the collegiate level and through other turbulent tracks on the way to becoming an engineer, university professor, and entrepreneur. Dr. Moore holds a DBA in management in addition to a certification in business excellence for health professionals from Cornell University. Wow. Clem, that was a mouthful. You're, you're a fairly busy guy. <laughs> How do you manage all of it? Ed, you know, I want to get out of the, the science of doing or doing so much. And Ed, I just want to be. I want to be a human being going forward. I'm, you know, tired of being a human that is, that is doing doing so very much i just want to be man <laughs> like let, let there be and there was okay but the sun still shines every day since then <laughs> I, I i hear that i hear that i i'm I'm, tr I, I'm trying to move in that direction myself and really ground in the knowing that what's next isn't my how it's god's how do you feel yeah. you know that yeah, way too I, I certainly do it is certainly his how and it's also his win. <laughs> <laughs> That's the hardest part to, to, to reconcile, isn't it? It is. It really is. So tell, tell the listeners about your background and what inspired you to write your book, From Failure to Promise, 360 Degrees. Ed, thank you. Ed, um, yes, Ed, I, I struggled uh, a little bit in, in growing up, you know, and in terms of, you know, academic readiness, right? Um, really did. And engineering, you know, the sciences are, are very difficult. So I flunked out of college. Um, but I had a prayer when I flunked out, you know, and I asked God to please make me an engineer. So I realized that I could not do it on my own. Um, uh, and not that I didn't feel as though I had the, the cognitive, you know, wherewithal to, to grasp the topics and the subject matter, but I realized I needed more than, than cognition. You know, I needed more fortitude, more, more energy, more, more insight, uh, uh, more humility to be able to ask for help. 
And I just, you know, and I knew I needed him. You know, ultimately, I needed him to help me, you know, to to achieve that. And and once he did, and years later, when I found myself at a, at a higher level, and I was I was teaching, and you know, I said, this is a story that a lot of not only young people could benefit from, but just people in general, you know, that have have failed and and struggled, and you know, to encourage folks to realize that hey, you you can certainly get there with God's help. So what? brought you to Christ? Did you grow up in a Christian household or, or was it was it something else uh, that uh, allowed you to either find him or allowed him to find you? <laughs> well, you know, and the good thing is, you know, since he is um, omnipotent and, you know, Alpha Omega and omnipresent, he's never like lost, right? So um, in terms of us, you know, Finding him, he is God, right? All by himself. So I, I did grow up, grew up in a in a Christian home, you know, and like a lot of children that grew up in Christian homes, uh, you know, say you say grace, you know, before eating, you attend church or, or mass on on Sundays, you know, and maybe even Bible study, you know, one you know, one night out of the week. So Grew up, you know, in a Christian household, but, um, you know, as life challenges began to to come, you know, my way, um, I began to to realize that just that casual that casual Sunday relationship or that, you know, prayer of Thanksgiving before eating a meal. Not quite enough. <laughs> no, not, not quite enough. Got to call on that omnipresence for sure. Yeah, I recently saw a post on it was either LinkedIn or Instagram that yeah. spoke to uh, you know, really about spiritual fitness. You know, yes. when we think of fitness, we typically think of physical fitness. And every right. one of us know that we can't simply show up one day a week for an hour <laughs> or two and <laughs> get the results that we want. And yet many times that's what we do as Christians where we show up for an hour on on Sunday. And in reference to the, the, you referenced life challenges and that you needed more of a relationship with God. What were some of those challenges that you encountered and how did he work, uh, work through you to be able to overcome them? Well, you know, flunking out of college, that was a big one. Um, in addition, you know, I struggled with eyesight, you know, uh, early on, you know, was born with congenital cataracts, uh, which is part of my passion for the work we do in Detroit now with eye care and eye care for Detroit. Um, I would also say, you know, um, you know, work, work challenges, you know, as a young engineer in a new city, uh, aging parents, parents were, were aging and needed to, to retire from their, their body shop, you know, and then starting family, you know? So I think sandwich generation, you know, so many working adults are in that space. Children who are growing up in a, a social environment, a social context with uh, so many distractions and the like, so different than, than our upbringing in a, in a pre-Google, you know, <laughs> we were Atari 2600, Commodore, Sega Genesis. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Boy, that's a stroll down amnesia lane right, right. there. <laughs> you know, so yeah, just just the common, you know, yeah, just that the the common terrain of, of adult life and having um, 
multiple roles, you know, in in life, in community, in work, um, and, and just trying to trying to be better and trying to be more in those respective capacities. Got it. So you you reference the city of Detroit. Yes. Now my in laws live northwest of the city. My okay. my wife spent most of her upbringing in Detroit. And yeah. as you know, we, we are in the Southwest now. So from an outside perspective, the city yeah. of Detroit has seemingly endured a lot of, quote, trauma yes. over the past two to three decades. From your perspective, what's been the key driver of that? The key driver of the trauma. Um, there was a pretty decent book, you know, that sold millions and millions of copies, you know, at the uh, whole Who Moved My Cheese, right? Mm. Uh, Dr. Spence, I believe it is. And um, the automotive industry, as we knew it, as we knew of it during the mass production era of the, the 50s and, and 60s, uh, shifted, shifted you know, to other regions outside of the Midwest, you know, uh, and shifted internationally. So um, the largest, largest companies are usually the ones that make the headlines, but there were dozens, if not hundreds of tier one, two, and three suppliers, you know, there were machine shops all around the West side and East side, you know, and um, folks, earned a living and supported their families. And then demographically, family sizes were larger, you know? So you mm -hmm. had, whether it would be your, you know, traditional black or minority uh, Hispanic family of six to eight children or your traditional Catholic Irish family with six to eight children. So you, you had bustling neighborhoods, schools, playgrounds, communities, and companies that had a lot of, you know, suppliers. A lot of that changed. Demographically, things changed with family sizes and economically, you know, it, things changed greatly with a shift in industry where you have a had a city that was looking for a new a new identity because it's not necessarily automotive per se anymore. Uh, so I think that economic decline brought about a number of, of challenges. You know, if the tax base decreases, then where's the revenue? Um, to pay, you know, to pay for homes, to pay into the tax base for for schools and roads and the like, and then the proliferation of of drugs also at in the in urban communities, you know, uh, bring about a great deal of devastation and, and decay for sure. When you reference something like the drug problem, and I don't mean this to come across as I, I as, as if I'm bringing that one topic up in isolation. Sure, from from your perspective, how much of something like that mm -hmm. is related to shifting family dynamics with a specific emphasis on e either a fatherless home altogether or an absentee uh, male figure within the family? It is huge. You know, let's face it. Anything that takes first place over, over God becomes problematic. So when a person says, well, hey, this is just a, a recreational beverage, right? Or this is, you know, recreational marijuana or whatever the case, right? Uh, whenever that takes precedence, you got an issue or you got a challenge, no matter what it is. It could be seemingly one of the most innocent things that we say, well, I've done it in moderation. So when we exceed moderation, 
gets a bit challenging. Additionally, uh, you know, when we think about prohibition and the, you know, illegal sale of alcohol in the bootleggers, historically that had some type of, you know, Jesse James type of sex appeal to it. You know, hey, I'm going to make my bootleg liquor and I'm going to stick up a train and I'm a rebel. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, but in real life, when you say I'm generating income on the street by selling, you know, drugs, you know, or uh, drugs, you know, uh, illegal or illicit drugs, you know, on the street turns into a challenge, you know, where the, um, you know, criminal justice system isn't uh, so kind, right? Isn't so kind to the manufacturing and distribution, you know, of drugs. We've seen, you know, from the 80s, the war against drugs. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs, et cetera. But we know we've had issues with, you know, cartels internationally bringing drugs to the states. Um, but whenever it comes to areas that are already, you know, blighted and have challenges and issues, and then there's the proliferation and the selling and then the mass incarceration, you know, of individuals that were either selling or became users or, you know, substance abusers, et cetera, it leaves a big hole. It leaves a big hole in homes and communities for sure. Yeah. So in addition to a dynamic like that, which is game changing or life wrecking or you know, whatever we want to call that for a, a, a large you know, percent of the individuals that unfortunately get involved with that for the last four decades or so in yeah. general, there's been an attack on masculinity. Yes. True. If, and it's, it's the culture sown a fair amount of confusion. I think I'm underselling that a fair <laughs> amount of con confusion as to what it means to be a man in 2023. Yes. Yes. You are actively involved in the, in, in community service. Yes. How do you go about helping men, particularly young men navigate through some of that confusion? Good question. And, you know, um, I try to lead by example and try to be an open door, you know, open door for some of those very difficult and, and tough conversations. Um, you know, going back to bravado and, and what is brash, right? I think when people create, you know, uh, a certain stigma in their head, whether it's based on, you know, television or, you know, internet or, you know, just an example, you know, in the community or a real life example, when people create this, you know, illusion that, hey, this is what I want to be and this is why I want to be it, they're usually getting at something. You know, I want to be this because it's going to help me to provide for my family. I want to be this because it's going to make my mom proud, you know, I want to do this because it's going to put food on the table. So I think um, getting at that, getting at what that end goal is, you know, for a young man, you know, the interim goals and kind of challenging the why behind those things. Like, you know, so why do you want to do this? Why do you want to work at this particular organization? Why do you think you have to, to drink every day, right? What get the, Challenging those, those, those whys and giving a person a sense at that, hey, you got a lot more control over the why behind your what. And the more you identify 
a good place that you want to get to and some thorough steps on how to make that happen, you'll realize be, you'll realize that you are becoming a better man each and every day. One step at a time, one misstep, one mistake at a time, learning from it and, and moving forward and continuing to challenge the why behind your what. Yeah, as you were talking, it reminds me very much of uh, like a, the Socratic method or some some version of that where mm-hmm. you're 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 leading the individual with with questions and and they're basically navigating their own path which is yes. um which which is so much better at least from my perspective so much better than simply you know having the fire hose opened up <laughs> on on them and it's just like especially for young people it's like oh great just another adult lecturing <laughs> yeah they don't want they tune out they tune they out, tune out. And, you know, you know um, one of the things having two teenage daughters that I've come to learn is that their spidey sense is uh, highly attuned to anything that is inconsistent with a message, you know, with behavior. They're, they're looking for chinks in the armor. Yes. And, you know, from, from my perspective, it's just like, you know what, the, the, the truth's enough and it's always stubborn. And what if we actually had took them down their own path uh-huh. or, you know, they, they explored their own journey through answering these types of types of questions. Have, has that been your experience too? It certainly has. It, it really has. Ed. And, and I think there's so much questioning um, because there's presumably so many answers now. I think they're unindated with so much data at their fingertips that it's kind of difficult for them to, decipher the veracity or, or the truth behind it. If they, you know, hey, Google Maps, for example, you know, hey, Google says this is the best route or Waze says this is the best way to get somewhere and I've never been before, then they have this, unfortunately, there's a blind trust in it where you and I could have gone that route several times and said, nope, there's a couple of detours on the way. I know an even better way <laughs> to mm-hmm. get there than this. They tend to to defer, if you will, to to what is you know most accessible to the fingertips versus sometimes the individuals that are right in front of them. You know, uh, <laughs> completely agree. I completely agree. You know, the one one thing one thing with having teenage kids, and yes. I I've been guilty of this. In whenever I've 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 told people, yeah, I've got a 15 and a 13 year old, and they're both good at it. Yeah, and you know, adults, and and this is, this is generation after generation. We, we tend to marginalize teenagers in, in so many ways when in reality, what they're trying to do is they're trying to gain independence. They're trying to, you know, really start to spread their wings. And I made a commitment to myself just recently, quite literally two weeks ago that I'm going to stop doing that. Yeah. Yep. My kids are extraordinarily interesting people. Most teenagers are extraordinarily <laughs> interesting people. What if yeah. we took that, uh, you know, an, a, a different approach with them to see if we can have a greater impact in their life? Because they know they're being marginalized. Right. Yeah, right? they get it. They totally get it. Yep. So, so with with these with these young men that you've had an opportunity to to serve, how do you go about introducing the topic of God? Oh, in the intro, you know, um, and I think 
hitting that that main point Ed, early on about weakness, you know, and about you know being being less less than you really truly you know want to be, and and what's the reason for that? Like, why are you sometimes less than than what you want to be, or why is your performance lower? So I think approaching it with that that humility. And then when the compliments come, well, hey, man, you're doing so good. And you're a business owner and you got a nice car and a beautiful home and family. And I'm able to point. I'm able to point up to God and, you know, give him the credit and give him the glory real time. So that's that connection that, hey, man, I'm I'm very weak, you know, um, and perhaps, you know, um, his strength and his glory through me makes me look much stronger and much greater than I really am. So, you know, kind of demystifying that notion that, hey, kid, you got to do this on your own. Actually, you can't. And uh, if you haven't learned that yet, you will. You know, it's kind of like Ed in the gym and you're like, you're on the bench and you see the barbells, you see the weight and you're, you're like, spot me. Life is God spotting us each mm. and every day. We lay head hits the pillow at night. God spot me. The plan is to get six hours of sleep. The plan is to get eight hours of sleep, but you you gotta spot me on each heartbeat along the way <laughs> throughout the night for sure. <laughs> I, I I love that. I've I've actually never heard it. I wrote it down. That's <laughs> that's outstanding. So I, I know you have a hard stop here in a couple of minutes, and I want to be respectful of your time. Just one final question. So you're an extraordinarily accomplished, very, very busy individual. Yes. And in addition to your, your professional life and your family, you serve on the board of directors for the Michigan Home Care and Hospice Association, Habitat Humanity Detroit, and for Big Brothers Big Sisters of Flint and Genesee County. Yes. What's the force that drives you to give back to the community you serve when most of us, our, our bandwidth would be stretched too far? That, Quite frankly, I would feel like I would snap. What's the driving force behind that for you? And, you know, the golden pursuit of optimal impact, you know, um, how can you touch more lives in more ways that are, are unique you know, and um, create a, a sense of transformation. You know, mentoring young people through Big Brothers Big Sisters and working on the board. Yeah, you transform lives, impact them. Homes, helping folks build homes and communities. You know, and the pride of home ownership, giving people a sense of a purpose, a, a sense of place. And then with home care and hospice, working on being an advocate. You know, an advocate at the state and national level to help people, you know, sort of navigate insurance and navigate, you know, sickness and, and health as well as pursuing wellness. So those are some unique areas Ed, that I'm that I feel comfortable and confident in being able to contribute and having a measurable, a measurable impact in the lives of others. I have no doubt that that's exactly what you achieve through all of these different avenues that, yeah. that you're, you're able to participate in. So Clem, this has been great. And I, I, I welcome the opportunity to have you back Wonderful. and you, yeah. have you share some uh, you know, additional you know, wisdom and insights. I think a, a lot of people in general, but men specifically can, uh, 
can get a lot from listening uh, to you and your experience. So before we wrap, would you mind praying us out? I certainly will. And thank you for the opportunity. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for this. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to to testify, to testify of, of your goodness and your grace and, and your love and your mercy for us all, Father God. Father, please bless bless the, the listeners the of this show. Bless the viewers. Bless Ed, the host, Father. Bless his family. Allow him to continue this, this ministry, Father God, that, that you have, have given him. Uh, Father, we pray that, that you are, are magnified uh, through our works and, and through our deeds, and you, you continue to, to cover us with, with, your, with your blood, cover us with your love. For Christ's sake, we do pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Dr. <laughs> Clem Moore, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much again uh, for your time. My Very pleasure. It's been great. Thanks for having me. Ed. Yeah, you're welcome. God bless. God bless. Thank you. <laughs>